0: Where's the yield coming from, Mark? What do you think? So it's just a chain of shitty investment decisions, one after another. He literally promoted this to his entire home base in Texas. He even said, if you download Voyager and put $100 in, we'll give you $100 back in Bitcoin. Like, come on, Mark, like you got to be responsible for some of this.
1: Doquan, he broke his silence. He finally has come out of of hiding. He says he didn't expect the collapse to happen, had this alter ego that just wasn't truly
0: him yeah to me it just sounds like a whole bunch of crocodile tears what's up guys it's seed phrase daily back again for another roundup this week we're taking over because mo has been taken over by covid possibly we don't know we'll see we'll find out but what's up alex how are you
1: Good. I'm chilling. It's a miserable cloudy day for the second day in a row. So I'm looking forward to some sunshine. All
0: right. I want to review what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to talk about Magic Eden. We're going to talk about this Bitcoin documentary I watched. I'm going to break it down for you guys and make it really fucking easy to understand. Um, What else do we have on the agenda today, Alex?
1: We're going to touch up on Magic Eden's proposal for the ApeCoin DAO. So it really appealed for uh, you know, Board a Yacht Club holders.
0: Oh, yeah. And I see we got Mark Cuban on the docket as well. This guy can't stay out of the news.
1: Yeah, he's, uh, he's uh, getting uh, sued for promoting a uh, Ponzi scheme that was Voyager. You know, everyone knows what happened there. They blew up.
0: Right. All right. So let's get into it. I want to start off with a little game we like to play, Fuck, Mary Kill. So I'm going to go a little bit back in time. Back to a lawsuit that happened earlier this summer, which feels like fucking ages ago. But the ETH Max lawsuit, I don't know if you guys remember this, but a ton of celebrities were hit with a lawsuit for a pump and dump scheme called ETH Max. Some of those celebrities are Floyd Mayweather, Paul Pierce, and Kim Kardashian. So Alex, I'm going to ask you, fuck, Mary, kill. Floyd Mayweather, Paul Pierce, or Kimmy K?
1: Okay, uh... So for starters I I I'd, I'd fuck Paul Pierce. Let's go. I I I think uh you know he's a good basketball player, a very good basketball player. I would marry Floyd Mayweather. He's a beast, you know. Floyd Money Mayweather. So uh has good money, so that's uh marrying so you're a gold player. digger. I guess I'm a gold digger. I guess that's what you're going to call me, but then I'd fucking just slaughter Kim K. Just like she she's she's out, she's done. Like I I'd kill her.
0: Why? Why would you kill Kim
1: Honestly, because I think she's responsible for the corruption of the modern day woman. Who you'd fuck, Mary Kill?
0: Oh, me? Okay. Easily, I would marry Floyd Mayweather because money. Two, also fucking Paul Pierce because he's my favorite fucking player ever. And I'll kill Kim K, but not for your, your reason. I'm just killing her because, like, I wouldn't marry her or fuck her because I'm not, I don't swing that way, but I guess you do. All right. Let's talk about Magic Eden. Talk to me. What are they doing with apes?
1: So they had an absolute genius proposal for the ApeCoin DAO. They basically are going to make an entire specified marketplace for Board Ape Yacht Club holders that will basically, if you transact on Magic Eden, instead of paying the standard 2% transaction fee on the exchange, you're going to be paying a 0.75% transaction fee, which is huge. I mean, you know, typically these board ABI club holders are, you know, very wealthy, they have a lot of money, or some of them are or whales. So, you know, people want to be able to hold on to as much money as they can. I mean, obviously, you have royalties that pay to the actual like community. But then if you have a low transaction fee off the marketplace, it's going to entice a lot of people to want to sell on that because they're going to have more money in their pockets.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what I think is
1: really significant about this is okay, you know, everyone was talking about Solana summer. Solana summer is going to take off. Solana FT, this is it. It's going to boom. That has never happened this summer. It's been disappointing. So, I really think that, uh, you know, that this proposal could be huge because if it brings, uh, if it goes through and the Magic Eden does build this platform, you know, you'll see a lot of big whales, Ethereum whales, Bordeaux Club holders come into the space magic eden and then they'll in that moment they'll be like oh let me go check out what else is on magic eden so they'll see all the other solana nfts and i really think that's going to be a catalyst and driver for solana nfts to have a possible bull run because more money will be flowing through those ecosystems
0: totally i think this is great um not because i care for the apes i really don't i understand the value that apes have because they're one of the best use cases of nfts and crypto i understand that i understand the 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 gravity they hold in this situation. I just don't fucking care about apes and I don't care about their merch. I don't care about Snoop Dogg and Eminem making a song. That's just me. But I do like Magic Eden. I really like Magic Eden. So I think this is great news for Magic Eden. I remember about a month ago, actually, Magic Eden had a day where they surpassed OpenSea in sale volume. So I think we might see a shift here. This is a flippening for exchanges, NFT exchanges. Maybe we could see Magic Eden take over and OpenSea take a step back. We've already seen OpenSea do their layoffs and you know, be involved in some pretty shady stuff. So we'll see what happens in terms of NFT marketplaces, but I'm definitely team Magic Eden. Um, so let's talk about ETH. Something yeah, so- no one... Yeah, go
1: ahead. I was just going to say, it's, uh you know, people that have been in crypto, I've been in crypto since 2021, but people that have been in crypto since, you know, 2015, 2016, were always like, when is the merge going to be? Some people thought it was going to be 2018. Then there's like, oh, it's going to happen 2020. That never happened. But now we actually finally have a date. It's September 15th, which is huge. So it's basically going to transition from proof of work protocol to proof of stake which is absolutely huge because, you know, for the, these tree huggers that love the environment, they, they're going to be very happy because, you know, it's going to be much more energy efficient. You know, using uh, proof of work requires these minings to that require an exorbitant amount of electricity. Uh,
0: oh, we will get into that, my friend. Today is the day we will talk about that in detail, but keep going.
1: I was going to say, so, you know, it's, it's it's huge because now it's finally transitioning to proof of stake protocol. Which is a big deal, and but I want to clarify a few things. People are saying, "Oh, yeah, this is going to be huge. Now gas fees are going to go so much lower. Um, you know, it's going to be so much quicker." That's not the case. And on th- September 15th, what is simply happening is that that they're just shifting protocols. So gas fees will remain unchanged. The transact, the fees, the the speed of the the network is also not going to be uh, increased. So it's not going to affect those two variables. But Vitalik, the Founder of Ethereum said that after this merge, 55% of Ethereum will be completed, but they plan through uh, zk rollups, layer two protocols, that it will be the driver to reduce gas fees and create you know faster speeds on the of transactions. But
0: so you're saying it'll be layer two that changes the fees and transactions? Piece.
1: Correct. But my but the thing I have with layer two that I have an issue with is because that's going to take away money from the Ethereum overall ecosystem because Ethereum collects, you know, their money from transaction fees, but with layer twos, they're going to be taking up a lot of profits now because more people will be using layer twos for, uh, you know, just uh, cheaper transactions and all that stuff. So, uh, but I'm also concerned with layer twos about from a security measure. I mean, yeah, they're supposed to use the security of a, you know, layer one blockchain, but adding on that layer two, it's like, you know, it's people are just starting to use it and we've seen all this hacks happen the last year my concern is what if someone infiltrates this layer two and it's not as secure as we thought it was
0: yeah that's a good point but i mean you would know better than i do because i'm new to crypto but like we've seen layer twos proliferate honestly and i haven't heard of a single layer two hack but that might just be me i don't know if you know of any
1: me neither. Um, dude, that's just kind of my hesitancy, my my fear. I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope that everything is peachy. Everything's perfect. Uh, layer twos are just as secure as layer one, but just faster and cheaper. Uh, yeah. But, but I think
0: also another thing that people need to know about the Ethereum merge is that they need to think about what will happen to these miners. Basically, Ethereum's entire ecosystem relied on these miners they're the reason eth exists right without miners the network wouldn't exist and now september 15th or september 16th we're just saying goodbye miners good luck like no i don't think that's how it works i think the miners are going to do a huge dump that day a little vengeance i would watch out for a dump near that uh eth merge date
1: yeah I'm, i'm also concerned about that too and also i've been hearing a lot about a possible like Uh, proof of work fork, which means uh, they're basically going to fork the blockchain to create an entire new blockchain. So it's what happened in 2016 when Ethereum, it was originally Ethereum Classic as well as the first Ethereum, but there was a hack to their protocol. So they basically forked it to what is now known as what we use as Ethereum, but now Ethereum Classic was the original Ethereum that was used. But so what a lot of uh, miners are, are advocating for is another fork so they could continue mining and, you know, having their own, uh, you know, blockchain and still be profitable because like, you know, a lot of these miners are kind of getting screwed though, because like, they put up all the money to be mining uh, and, and validating the network. And then on September 15th, they're getting kind of just kicked to the side. Me absolutely. personally, I'm a fan of a proof of stake. I think it's uh, going to be a lot better for the environment and also It's going to be more inclusive, right? Because to be a miner, you have to have, it's a higher entry, barrier to entry, because you have to put up more money. You have to pay for the infrastructure to make sure it's, you know, the cooling mechanisms, electricity, proof of stake. You just need 32 ETH total to create a validator node. And you don't need just 32 ETH to basically allocate your Ethereum to a, you know, pool. So you could have like one ETH and allocate it to a certain pool and get like, what, 3.5% for the year but a validator note gets what 5.5. So you're only losing two or two 2% there, which is still 3.5% is better than returns for them. Any bank will give you. So right. I, still, I think it's a very substantial upgrade. I think it's gonna be huge, but I, I do share your concern that we are seeing a possible, like quick dump from the miners just saying, fuck you. Like you screwed us. This is vengeance.
0: Okay. Well, I wanna take a step back to what you just said. Cause I, don't, I'm, I'm a newbie, right? I don't fully understand the complexities of uh, crypto yet. I'm trying to learn. And what I understand is like proof of stake relies, like you said, on money. So you have to have 32 ETH in order to stake or have a validator node.
1: I have a validator node.
0: Where is this validator node?
1: So these validator nodes are essentially our causing the network to, you know, verifying transactions on the network. So the more validator nodes you have, the more efficient the network. But
0: where is the node? Is it like a physical like node or is it just a piece of computer code? Where's the computer that's running that code? Like I'm saying like, where is the center of where like the code is running?
1: That, that I'm not completely sure. I think some people could use like a Amazon software, like AWS, like some uh, cloud servers, Mm -hmm. Um, but the issue with that becomes okay what's the reliability of these uh you know software of clouds like are they gonna are they gonna go off and the key is to have a validator know that doesn't shut off right that is always going to be able to be up and running you know that that's where people are going to want to allocate their funds to because as soon as something goes down no there's they're not making as much money so you need something that's going to run 24 7 365 days a year
0: Right. Well, I don't know. That just sounds concerning. Like I'm, I'm very skeptical of proof of stake because it's not, it sounds like it's not really decentralized.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're, you do bring up a point there. I mean, we have the whole like tornado cash that was supposed to be decentralized, but now it's being, you know, banned by governments. And, you know, so it's, it begs the question, is it like how decentralized is this stuff truly? And it claims to be, but uh, it might not be as decentralized as we would like it to be or expect it to be.
0: Yep, exactly. And that's why it's important because you see things like tornado cash happen where it's not decentralized. You can easily sanction it or you can easily arrest one of their developers. Like at least with Bitcoin, you don't have those problems. You can't sanction Bitcoin. You can't arrest one of its developers because we don't know who it is. Like Bitcoin, even the code itself, it's meant to be attacked and then it creates more chains. It creates more blocks. Like Bitcoin is has survived every attack on it. I can't say the same for other cryptos.
1: Yeah, no, Bitcoin is for sure uh, has the best track record. I mean, that's, you know, it's a beautiful piece of technology, beautiful piece of code. I personally never invested a single penny to Bitcoin for the reason of, I don't know who who created it. So I guess you call me old fashioned in that regard that I'm just uh, in type of that investing, but I still believe in Bitcoin. I think it's fantastic. It controls the markets. Most of the market moves with Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And let's let's move on to something less solid than Bitcoin. Uh, Let's talk about this Ponzi scheme known as Voyager. So Mr. Mark Cuban, I don't know if you guys remember, but he was a big, big fan of Voyager, not only a fan, but a business partner and an investor in Voyager. He even had his team, the Mavericks, endorse Voyager or vice versa, had Voyager endorse, endorse the Mavs. Um, and now he's being hit with a class action lawsuit saying that he promoted a Ponzi scheme known as Voyager. So what I when I initially hear this, I'm like, oh, all right, just some pissed off investors who lost a lot of money and they're looking to blame someone, right? That's the initial take. When Dave Portnoy had a lawsuit that we talked about last week, he never shilled the coin. What was it? Like moon, whatever. safe moon moon. he never shilled the coin he was just like yo guys like i'm investing in this might be a scam might make me some money i don't know there there's not much to sue there there's not much grounds on that but once you look at mark cuban the statements he's made on voyager his own financial interests in this business and Voyager itself, the way they've presented information to investors, it's a very different situation here. So Voyager filed for bankruptcy. It is completely liquidated. It doesn't have any fucking money. What does filing for bankruptcy do for Voyager? It protects it from being sued. Most lawsuits are halted once you file for bankruptcy. So these investors can't sue Voyager for losing all of their money. But they can sue Mark Cuban because Mark Cuban's not bankrupt. He maybe lost a couple mil, but that's nothing to a billionaire,
1: right? And I actually want to bring up a quote. I'm going to quote Mark Cuban here when referring to Voyager a few months back. He says, "It's as close to risk-free as you're going to get in the crypto universe." And I think in that statement alone is what's going to really hurt him. I mean that that is, uh, you know, very you know, looking back now, that's extremely naive to say and. Um, you know, obviously that's not the case. I mean, they're you know Voyager was always bragging about how it's going to be what 10.5 percent returns on your crypto. It's like you're not yeah. anything like that in banking. Banking is is, is evil, and you know, <laughs> you know Voyager is going to come save you. It's going to be 10.5 percent, but they, you know they're it's like they a lot of people don't explain where that money is coming from. Like, how do they come up with those returns? So
0: yeah, you know, where's we- the yield coming from, Mark? What do you think? So let me break that down a little bit more, actually, because I did some digging. So Voyager presented itself as lowest risk thing you could invest in in crypto, because what they'll do to get you that yield is they'll take your money and just like a bank, they will loan it out and invest it elsewhere to get a return. And they said the risk is minimized because... We will invest in companies, organizations, conglomerates that are very low risk, that we know we will get a return on. And guess who they invested in? Three arrows fucking capital. And guess what three arrows invested in? Luna. So it's just a chain of shitty investment decisions one after another. And who gets screwed? the users, the poor retail investors. And I think they're honestly justified for this lawsuit. I didn't think that about dave portnoy but i do think they are justified to sue mark cuban because he is a business partner of voyager capital he had a financial interest in getting his his home base he he literally promoted this to his entire home base in texas like he got all his fans on the platform he even said if you download voyager and put a hundred dollars in we'll give you a hundred dollars back in bitcoin like come on mark like you got to be responsible for some of this like he he's known for making horrible crypto investments this is another one of them let's see some accountability
1: well this wasn't the first time you know mark uh cuban kind of screwed the pooch in crypto well let's talk about his instagram account nft like he had that domain nft it's like you know if he did it right that'd be worth billion millions of dollars to just simply buy the domain for that but what happened was he wasn't disclosing advertising on the page and you know we're repeatedly posting sponsored content without saying advertisement just designated that designating that and you know his account got banned it's completely removed from instagram so it's like this isn't the first time mark cuban has done something that is uh incorrect and wrong and legally speaking so uh in crypto it's it's
0: honestly surprising though i don't know about you but i'm surprised because i used to watch Shark Tank a lot. I loved Mark Cuban. I thought he was the smartest one there. And he was always into like the tech uh, pitches. Like whenever there was tech involved, Mark Cuban was a shark that was interested. And so to see him like fail epically in crypto and not only fail himself, but lead millions of people down this hole is really shocking and disappointing to me.
1: Well, you know what's going to happen, though? I mean, he's a he's a billionaire. He's just going to get probably a fine of several million. He's going to pay it off and, you know, all is going to be good. So that's what's going to happen. I mean, he's, it's not going to see jail time. He's just going to have to probably pay some fine, some fine money. And that's it. He'll be able to walk away.
0: Yeah. And also, I want to mention something that Mo has talked about on this podcast before. And I think it's very good advice it is financial advice, but not the kind that you think it is. So what Mo said was a lot of people will follow whales, whales like Mark Cuban, follow their investments and follow that money. And that's what they'll invest in as well. But what they forget is, yes, these whales are smart. They have more market information than we do. Probably they have more resources than we do. But because of the fact that they have more resources, their failures do not amount to the same as a retail investor making a failed investment. So Mark Cuban lost a couple million to Voyager. No big deal to him. If I had invested 10 grand into Voyager because Mark Cuban told me to and lost all of it, I would be furious, not only furious, but it would honestly hurt me financially because I can't afford to lose that. But then again, is it my fault for investing more than I can afford to lose?
1: So I actually want to transition a little bit. I want to talk about kind of uh, macro events, stock market, a little shit from crypto. Uh, okay. Big short Michael Burry sold all of his stock. So my take is this guy is clearly anticipating a bear market. You know, this guy predicted the 2008 financial crisis recession. He shorted the market in 2008, made a, a shit ton of money, did very well for himself. And, you know, he's. Uh, He's always been very selective in what he says. He's always had just very good insight. He's always, like most recently, he said the highest, the largest commodity that you could have is water. He said that's the best resource you can own. So he's heavily invested in water, which, as we can see, if you have clean water, you know, that's very important in this day and age. But I think the biggest sign is we were talking about last week how we think the, you know, the stock market's not looking good. So, you know, Michael Berry's selling all his stock. You see Kathy Wood from Arc Investment. Dumps a lot of stock, and then also Elon Musk sells six point eight billion of Tesla stock. You know, it just adds to the point that you know the brightest minds in finance are definitely indicating that we're uh, on track for a a bloody bear market, and I think it's going to be kind of similar to two thousand eight. That's my take. I think we're going to see just a a complete shit of the market. It's going to go south very quickly. A lot of people are going to lose money. A lot of firms are going to blow up. Banks are going to be in trouble. So. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see uh, how it's going to turn out.
0: Yeah. And just to add on the macroeconomic factors that we're seeing, I was just reading an article how uh, evictions are at an all-time high right now. And uh, more credit cards have been opened this year than last year. So people are taking out money that they possibly might not be able to pay back and they're being kicked out of their homes, moratoriums are ending from COVID uh, protections. I think you're right. Like we are about to enter uh, dark times. The only, you know, beam of hope here that the Biden administration really is clinging on to is the unemployment rate. And I think you brought up a very good point to me a couple of days ago. And that is that if you look at the graph, uh, year by year, U.S. unemployment rate, Right now, we're I think we're hovering just under four percent. That is exactly where we were where we were prior to COVID happening. So really, we're not seeing uh, anything positive happening in employment in the labor sector besides returning back to pre COVID levels. So really, we're just going we've moved back to 2019. We haven't progressed. We've just caught up to our regressions.
1: Right. Just the people that lost their jobs are getting back into the workforce and getting the jobs that were lost. So it's not anything new. This is just regaining the jobs, like you said. So, I mean, people are talking about, oh, yeah, unemployment rate's doing well. But like, is it, though? You know, it's like if we saw actual job growth that is doing better than 2019, then I'd be like, OK, that's a positive sign. Companies are hiring uh, more cash flow is going through the markets. But that obviously indicates otherwise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we something important to note is um, we're seeing a lot of layoffs and we're talking about a specific sector, you know, tech is being hit pretty hard right now in the economy. So obviously you're going to see layoffs happening there first, but I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing that spread to other industries in the next few months. Um, again, what I'm doing, my strategy to you know, get through this recession, bear market, whatever you want to call it, just preserve your money. That's the most important thing you can do. I'm literally cutting down on eating out. I'm cutting down on shopping. Like prices are so high, it makes sense to cut down. It makes sense to cut where you don't need to be spending money. That's what I'm doing. And obviously dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin every week because that's what I believe in. Um, you should definitely do your own research and find a coin that you believe in as well that will yield you value.
1: Speaking of yield, let's talk about uh, something that was yielding 20% that absolutely collapsed and was probably the catalyst for the start of this bear market. Doquan, he broke his his he broke his silence. He finally has come out of, the, of hiding and decided to face the music and uh, you know, he talks about in this interview that was like, I think, 45 minutes long. He says he didn't expect the collapse to happen. He said he, he's struggling to find words to describe what it feels like. He can't come up with the words. He genuinely believed in UST. He genuinely believed in uh, Terra, this, their stable coin that was supposed to be pegged to the US dollar, but clearly that depegged very quickly to zero. Um and he basically talked about how he didn't anticipate the price of Bitcoin to drop so rapidly. And then just the FUD on Twitter just kept getting worse and worse and people were spreading all this doubt. And uh, eventually what happened was leaked information came out saying that they were looking for $2 billion worth of like funding. Uh, and then that leaked and then that created a bunch of short positions for Luna and then just completely decimated the the token value. and. And he talks about how he also regrets his like kind of like attitude, how you came across so cocky and just arrogance and confidence. And he definitely uh, said that that kind of like uh, bit him in the ass because he was just, you know, had this alter ego that just wasn't truly him, but just was really cringe because it, obviously he was talking about how his product is great, but went from $60 billion to, to nothing.
0: Yeah. To me, it just sounds like a whole bunch of crocodile tears. Like, <laughs> I don't think it was an alter ego, my friend. Sure, like, you know, like we we do content creation. We know what it means to put on a bit of a personality, to stay engaging, to be interesting, but it comes from somewhere. It doesn't come from nowhere. And I think this guy had a lot of money, thought he was doing great and he decided to be a dick and he decided to be cringy, and whatnot. And I think he was overconfident for sure. But I think when you see that in a founder, it's a red flag. Anyone who has truly a good product, they're not out there boasting. They're not out there drawing attention to themselves. The product speaks for itself. And I think with Do Kwan, you know, he didn't think this would happen. Sure. No one thinks that they're going to go to zero, but. Educated people, experienced people in cryptocurrency know it's extremely volatile and the good companies, the good cryptocurrencies, the good NFT projects add in that risk when they do anything. They understand the volatility of the market, even if you don't expect the low to be as low as it is, you factor that in. You see players like OpenSea and Coinbase laying people off, whereas Binance is hiring people right now. Binance prepared for the bear market. Binance accounted for volatility. They've managed their risk, they've managed their expenses, and that's why they're hiring. Coinbase, OpenSea can't say the same.
1: It's, it's funny you say that about Binance. because CZ Binance, the uh, CEO of the exchange, basically tweeted out, I think in like May, saying it's, it does wonders when you don't spend money on advertisement and stadium rights, like stadium naming rights. So he was basically calling out, obviously, Coinbase for their Super Bowl commercial, and then like crypto.com, crypto.com. which used to, which they have the naming rights for the uh, arena in Los Angeles that was formerly Staples Center. And so, and then also FTX Arena, which is the Miami Heat's, uh, you know, arena. So it's like these, these companies were pumping money into advertisement, hoping that it would create a catalyst, but, you know, maybe long-term it brings awareness, but currently just definitely wasn't the smart move financially because Binance is now hiring, what, 3,000 new employees by the end of the year. And yep. Crypto.com, Coinbase uh, are, are slashing uh, employees. So it <laughs> it's just uh, funny to see that, you know, CZ Binance kind of just takes a jab at those companies and exchanges.
0: Yeah, and I think rightfully so, I think... I respect CZ, and he's, he's not a dick. He's not cringy on Twitter, and he's one of the most influential people in this space. He's one of the most successful people in this space. I think your character really comes out when money starts rolling in, and so Quan, goodbye. That's all I have to
1: say, yeah, he, he and he also, I'll quote him. One last thing I want to touch up on, then we'll move on from DoQuan. He doesn't deserve that much attention, but I, I'll bring this up. He says, "Next twenty years is going to be more meaningful than what happened over the last six weeks, bro." In the next twenty years, no one's going to fuck with you in crypto, like you know, <laughs> or you could be a developer because you're an intelligent person. But in terms of you being a voice of anything, I think the people that will be saying listening to you are going to be smoking crack. Like I, I don't think anyone's going to be listening to
0: you. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on. Um, You want to touch on a little bit about royalties or should we just go straight into the Bitcoin doc?
1: Well, I was going to say we could talk on NFT marketplaces. They don't have created royalties. I think Mo would have for sure appreciated this subject. Mo being our NFT guy, he's the NFT whiz. He has the alpha. He has the information, something that I don't have. Hopefully one day I will. Um, but anyways, I'll touch on real quickly. Uh, there's a few NFT marketplaces that are basically getting rid of and not honoring create, creator royalties. So uh, an exchange that is called PseudoSwap has just been taking up a decent chunk of transactions because they don't honor creator fees. They have a two percent you know marketplace transaction, which is very small, but they don't honor the typical five to ten percent royalties that projects have. So basically people are able to trade their NFTs and keep more money in their pockets for Solana. The, the exchange is called Yaw with three W's. It's the second largest marketplace on Solana. And it's, you know, it draws a lot of controversy because isn't that the whole purpose of Web3 royalties? Like you believe in the project they invest in, that royalties will reward the project so they can continue to build, build their product. I mean, that's the whole beauty of Web3. So if we get rid of royalties for the creator, we're essentially going back to Web2 there's basically no difference between what, you know, all these mainstream, uh, you know, companies, tech companies now are doing. And it's just, just at the end of the day, money grab. So I think what a lot of issues going to happen is, is that if this, you know, becomes mainstream where, you know, creator fees are just not going to be factored in anymore, you know, I think we're going to see higher mints, you know, projects that are coming out are going to charge a shit ton of money for mints. And then also you got to think about creators are probably going to hold up half the collection, you know, Because they need to make money somehow. They need to ensure that they're going to be able to keep you know, building their project, building their company and paying themselves. So they're probably going to keep half of it. And in theory, they control most of the circulation, which you don't want that. You want it to be distributed over a large community. You don't want half, one person controlling half the freaking supply.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think... There's something to be said, though, where royalties don't make sense in certain types of NFTs. So I think an NFT that promises a roadmap, they're going to create a community or they already have a community and they're building it, um, or artists like creating unique art or um, avatars, Uh, all of those, I think... Yes, royalties make absolute sense, but then you have the degen plays where they're just trying to flip and make a quick buck and it's obviously going to burn out and die. And it's pretty clear to people who are involved in that market, what projects are going to burn out and die. And I think those, why should they have a royalty fee? Like are the developers not growing it? They're not building it. I don't know.
1: I, I think royalties are essential for, you know, the future. I think that's what makes the beauty of Web3. But I, I, I do think when you, you know, have all these people just kind of cheat, not cheating the system because, you know, you could still, you know, remove, you know, uh, creator royalties and exchanges don't have to honor that. That's like just how crypto works, blockchain works. But I just think it's going to be very bad for this space. I think it's going to push a lot of people away when like the creators like artists that you know have potential that want to take their artwork in real life and turn it into an nft they're gonna they're gonna have no incentive to do it now they're be like i'm not making any money on, on uh royalties and secondary sales so it's like why would i even bother with nfts now so i think this could possibly put a dampener on uh, the growth of nfts so uh, i definitely hope that they find a way to enforce royalties on uh, you know transactions
0: Yeah, well, the thing is like something I didn't know and I learned reading about this is I thought royalties were just part of the smart contract, but that's not the case at all. uh, You can't enforce royalties on a smart contract. In fact, there's no tech right now that can enforce those royalties. The only reason they exist is because it's like a social construct and agreed upon unwritten rule that royalties will exist for NFTs so i agree with you royalties are a game changer like you hear gary Vee talking about this all the time that the reason nfts are so great is because it's bringing profit back to the creators it's bringing profit back to the artists to put it into perspective if tickets concert tickets became nfts like the only incentive for that to happen is because Places like StubHub and Ticketmaster could make a royalty off of the resale of their ticket, which right now they're getting 0% of. So an incentive for those to become NFTs is the royalties. I think I agree with you. Royalties are a huge game changer, but if they can't be enforced, then i right. don't know it's iffy if it'll last
1: so i guess we shall see but uh i want to hear about this see. bitcoin documentary you're watching you've been talking about this for some time and you've just been hyping it up and uh i would love to hear about it now
0: so you guys i watched a bitcoin documentary it's called the machine greens here are the four most important things i learned one since de from the gold standard The strength of the U.S. dollar is directly correlated to petroleum. Most people didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I will explain, but let's keep going. So number two. And we can tie this down to an an event. So when did the U.S. dollar become tied to petroleum in 1973 when America struck a deal with the good old Saudis? Number three, the third thing I learned. The US dollar and the system that upholds it is one of the biggest threats to tackling climate change. And number four, here's where Bitcoin comes in as the hero. Bitcoin creates market incentive for renewable energy. Not because Bitcoin is seeks virtue, but because cheap energy is clean energy. All right, so I said some crazy shit. Now I want to explain it to you guys. So I'm going to take it all the way back. We're going to do a little lesson here. I'm going to go through some things that you need to fundamentally understand in order to understand the relationship between Bitcoin energy and the relationship between the dollar and petroleum. So let's start with this simple fact that life is energy. Do you agree with that, Alex, that without energy, you cannot have life?
1: I 100% agree That's uh, okay, everything revolves around energy.
0: Everything revolves around energy. This is just a fact of life. And the earth receives its energy from the sun. Without it, there would be no life. Now let's go through a little bit of history. Once humans discovered fire, we were able to cook. So that's a form of energy that we created. Cooking allowed surplus food, which didn't exist before then. You know, you'd eat what you could. But now there's a surplus of food. So that created excess energy in humans, and that allowed us to form larger brains, as the theory goes. So we wouldn't be as smart as we are today without heat to create cooking. And today, just a little fun fact for you guys. One person in the West relies on the energetic equivalent of 600 humans working for them. So I want you to think transportation, your easy access to goods and services, roads, hospitals. Guys, it's a shit ton of energy that we rely on to create the lifestyle that we have right now. Now, number two, the second thing you need to understand is money is closely linked to energy, so before we had paper money humans made things like stones and shells and they would carve it into certain shapes that would denote certain value and the reason it was valuable is because you had to expend energy to create this disc or this shell it wasn't just something you picked up off the floor but it's something that took time and work to create and it created a lot of efficiency because you would trade this shell or this stone instead of a barter system where it'd be like, I have three sheep and you have four lamb, uh, whatever. If you have <laughs> four whatever horses and we're gonna trade them. No, that shit's inefficient as fuck. Val- ma- money was valuable because it created a whole new system, and the money itself was valuable because it required work to be created. So then we understand that currency has a long history of proof of work. That's what currency is. It's a proof of work, or at least historically, that's what it's been. And that's how you get the gold standard. So that's what we're going to talk about now. So gold was used as a way to transport value. And the reason it could do that is because of its unforgeable costliness. What that means is you cannot fake gold and you cannot fake the labor that it takes to mine it. And that's why it's valuable. So gold is fundamentally proof of work. Simple as that. The time and energy to get gold creates a store of value. So we know that there's a long history in humankind to expend energy to create money, whether that's rocks and shells or gold, we all understand that there's not much in our society that is as useful and as efficient as the institution of money, right? So we get that. So now we're going to fast forward. So now we're going to fast forward to 1971. Can you guess what happened in 1971,
1: Alex? Richard Nixon took uh, the US dollar off the gold standard.
0: Yes, sir. Do you know why?
1: So, yeah, I actually I actually think I know this. So uh, we basically mined every inch of the planet for gold. And, you know, we thought there was just an infinite supply. We just keep mining. We're going to discover more gold. But eventually we realized there's a limited amount of gold. But we didn't factor that into our financial systems. So when we're like, okay, well, there's a, not as much gold as we anticipated. You know, it, it's going to create a little problems with the, the fiat currency. But... Nixon and his the government made a horrible mistake by taking the U.S. dollar off the gold standard, which was the, literally the beginning of the end. Which you know is like the, the catalyst for where we are now, where they're printing trillions of dollars worth of money out of thin air, that is basically decreasing the value of our assets. Um, so yeah, I think that was a big no-no. Uh, I wish it never happened, but like you said, that's where Bitcoin comes in because there's 21 million in circulation. It's not like we're gonna keep mining, and be like, oops, we ran out, we're screwed. We already know initially what how much it is, so it's mathematically priced in, if you want to put it like that.
0: Absolutely. So you're right. Nixon depegged the dollar from the gold standard, and that's because, like you said, we had a lot of inflation happening, and we had way more debt than gold. So he's like, oh shit! I got to figure out another way to preserve the value of the U.S. dollar. Depeg from gold." And shortly thereafter, in 1973, came the birth of the petrodollar. So instead of gold, the U.S. struck a deal with the Saudis. What was that deal? It was a mutually beneficial deal. So now that people don't need the U.S. dollar for gold reserves because we depegged, Nixon and his administration had to find a way to make the U.S. dollar still globally relevant. What is something that the entire world needs, and how can we peg that to the dollar? So we said, "Hey Saudis, uh, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna sell you guys our top of the line military equipment that no one else in the world has. The U.S. has the strongest military in the world with the strongest forces behind it. We're gonna sell you that grade A technology. Millions of taxpayer dollars went into making. We're gonna sell that to you, Saudis." In exchange, you're going to sell your oil on the global markets by U.S. currency. So you can only sell oil in U.S. dollars and you can only exchange oil with U.S. dollars. What did that do? So that made OPEC, the rest of the Middle Eastern pact that sells oil, not including Iran, start selling oil in dollars. Slowly the whole world now sells oil in dollars. That is how we keep global relevance. That is why we are the global currency reserve because we all need oil and it's pegged to the dollar. Something I had no idea about and I'm an international relations major. This is my bread and butter and I learned this through this documentary which is why I'm so like hyped up on it cuz I think it's very fucking interesting. So let's talk a little bit more about the military. So we give them military aid. They give us global relevance in our currency. The U.S. military is the glue that binds the dollar to oil. And let me put that into perspective. Not only are we selling the Saudis a buttload of weapons, but our own weapons use a buttload of fuel. So the military burns. 4.8 Four point eight billion gallons of fuel a year. Four point eight billion gallons of fuel a year. That is fucking
1: insane. It sounds like I we mean, got ourselves in a vicious cycle, right? We're using we're using their oil to basically fuel literally our military, but in reality, you know, our military is supposed to be the most powerful uh force in the world, but we still need our supply from other sources, which is like right. in theory you think the military should be self-sustained. So it's like we kind of uh It kind of here's the
0: thing. Here's the thing. The military is it doesn't actually rely. We don't actually rely on foreign oil. If the US wanted, we could use our own oil. We have the largest oil reserves in the world. Most people don't know that. Most people don't know the United States has the most oil in the world. We just don't want to tap into those resources. And it's not in our interest to tap into those resources because it would threaten this deal that we struck with the Saudis in 1970 fucking three that has never changed. We rely on our currency being the world currency. That is the most prime U.S. interest above all else, is to protect the U.S. dollar against all other global currencies. That's what keeps us in our number one spot. And the only way we can do that right now is through this deal with the Saudis. All right. So another thing I wanted to say, a little fun fact, one stealth fighter jet is one million taxpayer dollars. And one average flight, so they do tons of test flights, practice flights, real flights. One of those flights burns 16,000 gallons of fuel. All right. So, so now to, you see the problem. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I wanna talk about just how, like, you know, all that fuel costs to, you know, fund, you know, to power the military and how just energy, you know, taxing that is. Um, And the beauty of Bitcoin, you talk about how like, you know, Bitcoin is, you know, we have a finite amount, 21 million, uh, which is huge. But people talk about how Bitcoin mining is uh, bad for the environment. But a lot of the time is what is happening right now is, you know, a lot of mining companies are using renewable energy. So they're using clean energy to produce Bitcoin, to mine Bitcoin, which is huge. But I think there's other aspects of Bitcoin mining that is going to be very relevant to society. I've been seeing cases where people use Bitcoin miners to basically use the heat from that to power greenhouse where they where they grow food, which is huge. And then you have the whole argument of is Bitcoin going to stabilize the electrical grid? I'm not an electrician. I don't know how that's going to happen. But that's the (laughs) fucking point that a lot of these Bitcoin maxis have is like, oh, you know, through clean energy, Bitcoin will stabilize the grid and produce and provide clean energy. And electricity for you know households and all that stuff which so you have a clean monetary system that basically cannot be cheated and then you also have the monetary system from mining that also uh, results in you know uh clean energy for you know houses and people and also to grow food and greenhouses by from the heat so there's a lot more utility to bitcoin mining than just simply mining the coin itself
0: Absolutely. And you know what? That is literally the next point I was going to say. So, what that brings us to, we see the problem. We see the problem with fiat currency, specifically the US dollar. We see how that is a threat to uh, efforts to curb climate change because of its link to the petroleum industry. So, now we are at Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is a currency of energy, just like how the dollar is, right? So, The only thing is Bitcoin is one of the only industries that is extremely transparent about its energy usage, and that's what makes it an easy target. So I want to put this into perspective. So Bitcoin uses around 100 to 150 terawatt hours per year, okay? The cruise ship industry uses double that at 250 terawatt hours a year. Always on devices at home like your Alexa or your desktop expends 12 times more energy in one year than the entire Bitcoin network, 12 times. Christmas lights in the US alone use more energy than the Bitcoin network. So really what I'm trying to say is the energy usage of Bitcoin isn't the problem because if it were, it would be surpassing all of these industries, but it's not. And no one's saying, hey, we should stop using Christmas lights or let's close down the cruise ship industry. These people don't care about energy when they say Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. They care about... When you hear a central banker tell you that Bitcoin uses too much energy and it's bad for the environment, remember that they're taking private jets to uphold a system that maintains the U.S. dollar and its ties to petroleum. Remember that, okay?
1: I also All want right. to answer that. I'm pretty yeah. sure Bitcoin... Like... I'm pretty sure it accounts for less than 1% of the uh, carbon footprints in the world, like less than 1%. So like Bitcoin mining is not the problem. I mean, before people start pointing fingers, oh, it's bad for the environment, you know, save the trees, save the turtles. You know, we got to start looking at the other aspects of our society that are contributing to this carbon, you know, footprints and greenhouse gases and high electrical output. So in reality, you know, Bitcoin miners, majority of them are using clean energy. Like I said, so it's like Bitcoin is not really the problem. Bitcoin is probably the solution. But like you said, all these central bankers have a problem with that because it goes against their interests.
0: Exactly. And you know what? Bitcoin compared to general energy usage, general energy usage right now is at 11% renewable energy. Bitcoin, which has only last, only existed since what, twenty twelve, or no, eight. Two thousand
1: eight.
0: Two thousand eight. Bitcoin has existed since two thousand eight. Clean energy has existed far longer than that. Bitcoin has only existed since two thousand eight, and it uses forty percent renewable energy. So it's four times more green than the rest of the entire world's general energy usage. So, and I want to explain why that is. This is something people don't understand. And it's very simple. Bitcoin miners are financially incentivized to shift to renewables because it's cheaper. In order to have an edge as a miner, you need to cut your costs in energy. And the easiest and best way to do that is with renewables. Renewable energy is cheap because it's efficient. Fossil fuel is expensive because it's not efficient. Okay, so BTC miners have to find low-cost energy to get an edge, right? And while a lot of industries, they don't have the luxury of going to where that energy source is, like, say, a river or a volcano or whatever kind of power renewable power you want to use, Bitcoin miners are very mobile, so they can move to wherever that energy source is. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, I was, I was going
1: to say, you know, it's funny when people talk about how, like, you know, we need electrical cars to save the environments, but no one talks about the process of mining lithium like and getting creating lithium batteries. If you see these images, they're literally putting craters in the world and, and they're and they're exploiting humans to basically mine. You know, they're using, you know, people in Africa or the Middle East and they're just exploiting the, the work for these to mine all these uh, resources. When if you look at Bitcoin mining, they're in literally a cargo container using clean energy in the middle of a field. Like, yep. and people say one is more uh, environmentally taxing than the other. It's clearly when you're putting a crater in the world, that's a lot worse than putting a simple cargo container using hydropower or solar panel or just any other clean energy source. So it's, uh, I think it's a big farce. And I think that a lot of the problem is a lot of people just lack the, the common resources of knowledge to realize that Bitcoin is is not the problem. It's just, they you know, they're, they follow what the media says and just what, the other, they're NPCs, right? They're just literally like robots that just don't do any critical thinking. But the problem is, I think it just stems from lack of education and knowledge of crypto But I, and, and, and Bitcoin. But I think as time goes on, people will start realizing just how efficient and good Bitcoin is and what it can provide for the economy. You know, people working, uh, the environment, all, all of the above. It, it's, it has more uh, utility than, you know, we initially think.
0: You're absolutely right. I think it is a problem of education. I I mean, honestly, like if I didn't have a natural interest in crypto and being like, just curious, like, what is it? Why are so many people talking about it? Why are people getting rich off of it? That's the only reason I'm here now is because I was curious about it. But you can't expect most people to think that, you know, right? Like I was an international relations major. I graduated with honors. And I didn't know that the U.S. dollar was pegged to petroleum sales. I didn't know that. So I think it does take quite a bit of effort to get the right information. And I think that's why seed phrase exists, honestly, is to bring make that easier, make that process easier, make it more streamlined. Um, but going back to Bitcoin, another thing I wanted to say about the miners is in Texas and I think one other state, a lot of Bitcoin miners have struck deals with where there are oil rigs. So I don't know if you have you guys have ever seen an oil rig, but basically they flare. They flare, literally looks like a legit fire on top of it because it's releasing methane gas into our atmosphere. And that's what's really bad for our environment is that release of methane. What Bitcoin miners have done is they've established themselves right by these oil rigs. And instead of releasing that methane, they utilize it. They capture the methane. And not only the methane, they also capture the carbon. And they utilize that as their energy source to run these mines. So not only is Bitcoin utilizing clean energy, but it's also cleaning up a bit of our our, uh, non-renewable energy. It's kind of cleaning up that market as well. Like if that methane doesn't get trapped by a Bitcoin miner to use this energy, it gets released into the atmosphere. Like, I think it's a win-win. And, you know, the last thing I'll say here is that Bitcoin doesn't require warplanes. Bitcoin doesn't require Middle East wars. It doesn't require drone fleets. And it definitely doesn't require a multi-billion dollar armament deal. The F-35 will only ever run on jet fuel. Bitcoin can run on any type of energy. Mic drop,
1: mic drop big time,
0: (laughs) but yeah, that's why that's part of the reason why I'm like so into Bitcoin is because I have this natural inclination about like our government's corrupt. Our government is so corrupt and our government rules money and money rules my life. Like that's just a fact to detangle myself from that situation is like absolute freedom.
1: Yeah. And speaking of freedom, that's why I'm like a big fan of the president of El Salvador for can't even pronounce his name, uh, Buk I It's like, I'm not even going to attempt it, but he's uh, really an innovator. He thinks ahead. And, you know, it's like people talk about their stories in El Salvador. If you watch a documentary, um, this Jack Mahler documentary, he's a big Bitcoin maxi. He talks about how, you know, if you're going from and you have your half your family is living in El Salvador and you're working in the U.S. and you're going to basically, you know, send your money through. Uh, Western Union or one of these like portals, like they're going to take significant amount of you know the money from fees, and then when you go to a Western Union or whatever in El Salvador, you know think about what's what's going to happen. You walk out, you're easily a target because people are like, okay, this person you know is clearly going into this this place to get money, so they're an easy target to get robbed, and that becomes yeah. an issue. So all that and person's hard that- work that oh, happens in America is just stolen in a second as soon as it gets transferred. The beautiful. People. I was just say the beauty of Bitcoin is you know you don't need to go into any store you don't need to go in to be like to receive your assets you can literally just be sent it from anywhere in the Another world minute. and you know that that creates that uh, <laughs> and not a minute can't speak but that uh, this, you know thank you thank you um, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that's what's so beautiful about Bitcoin is that well that's what's going to result in in these third world countries that they could just keep their funds disclosed and not really people are going to be able to know. So this prevents them from getting robbed and it really gives them true financial freedom.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not only getting robbed physically because like you're coming out of a Western union, but Western union itself is robbing people. They have extremely high fees, especially like, let's be real here. Like a lot of people from countries like El Salvador, Nigeria, Kenya, Iran, countries that suffer from hyperinflation, any amount of money sent to them from the US is extremely valuable and extremely useful and helpful. So let's say I'm sending, you know, I work at as a waitress for my family. I work as a waitress in the US and I send my family money back. How much does a waitress make? You know, like, It's very limited amount of money and they're taking a huge fee out of that limited amount of money. It it doesn't make any sense. And I think that's why Bitcoin has been adopted by so many foreign countries and is having a bit of a harder time to have mass attention and mass acceptance in the U.S. is because Americans, I've said this before, I'll say it again, Americans are extremely financially privileged. They don't know what it means to suffer from hyperinflation. They don't know what it means to go to bed with your retirement in place and wake up and have it all be gone because your government sucks ass and is corrupt.
1: I mean, look at, look at 2008, right? You know, I think a lot of people lost their retirements and, you know, 401ks in 2008, their real estate. So I think not to the extent of other countries, right, that they experience, Uh, you know, severe economic issue from the government or whatnot. But I, I definitely would say, you know, there are a good amount of Americans that have experienced a lot of, you know, economic downfall. I mean, I can name a few, you know, family friends that, you know, lost a lot during 2008. They lost almost everything. So, I mean, yes, America is by far the best country in terms of being able to rise economically, but we're not perfect. And we definitely have had people lose a lot. So it's, uh, you know, to say that you know America's is immune is—that's—that's is, that's not exactly true. I mean, people did lose a lot.